0: Hello, and welcome to Tardigrade Talks. I'm your host, Dr. Jody Samra, and this is a podcast for anyone interested in cultivating greater psychological health, wellness, and resilience. In each episode, I'll share authentic and thought-provoking conversations with inspiring guests, along with evidence-based skills. Strategies and approaches you can use to cope with the stresses of life and enhance your personal and workplace resilience. Our next guest, Chrissy Van, is an accomplished TV broadcaster and a self professed weather nerd. She currently hosts the Community Connection program for CTV Morning Live, and is the weekend weather anchor for CTV Evening News. She has worked as a national television presenter and video journalist for the Weather Network in both Ontario and BC, and was also formerly a weather presenter and field reporter for CBC. Chrissy places a strong value on physical health and has achieved a great deal in the competitive fitness world. She's a bikini competitor with the Canadian Physique Alliance and of note, won first place in her class at the Iron Ore Classic in 2017. Chrissy is very passionate about the mind-body connection and how physical activity enhances our memory and creativity she regularly blogs about this and beautifully so through her blog then in van city and last but certainly not least chrissy is also an avid motorcyclist we'll be talking about the life lessons learned from having a parent with a chronic health condition the power of journaling as a tool to enhance self-reflection the reality and challenges associated with being a woman in media in the modern age, and the role of fitness competing and motorcycles in conquering fears and misconceptions. Welcome, Chrissy. I am so excited to have you here with me today.
1: I'm so excited to be joining you. Well, let's
0: start with how are you
1: today? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I feel like in the state of the world, that can be a loaded question these days, but you know what? You get up, you're alive, you can take a deep breath, you can move and interact in the world. So I'll take that as a good day any day. (laughs) Yeah, pretty good
0: days, right? And some days all we have gratitude for is getting up and out of bed. (laughs) And and, uh, (laughs) that's not a bad bad thing to be grateful for. Uh, well, Well, Chrissy, let's start by talking about your media career. Now, you from a very young age knew that you desired a career in television broadcasting. And this desire has brought you far and wide across Canada and beyond. Um, And so tell me what it was about this career that drew you in at a very
1: young age. It's hard to think as a little kid, I l- quite literally would travel along with a VHS camera and pretend that I was broadcasting. That was me. My mom would call me a little ham. It was back in the days where you had cassette players for the radio where oh, I would yeah. my- <laughs> we all remember those. I would hit play and record and actually act like a radio DJ in between my favorite mixtape songs that I was compiling. Oh my so- goodness. I know. It was always such a huge part of what I wanted to be. And then it was when I was in high school, I remember it was a project where they have a case study. And it was about this girl and her job was a journalist. And that's where my mind clicked that all these public speaking competitions that I was doing as a child or school performances with elementary school plays were all taking me to this place that I could actually funnel that into a career. And that's where I really honed in on television broadcasting. I just knew in my heart of hearts that I was going to get there. I didn't know exactly how it was going to unfold, but I knew what the ultimate goal was going to be. Yeah. And what, you know, when you look back
0: and, and think of your young little self that was, you know, walking around with the VHS and cassette recorders, what drew you? Like what what was the kind of appeal of journalism for you?
1: I just love I loved public speaking. I loved sharing stories. I loved asking questions. And that's exactly what this type of job could be. I think as I got older, I started to discover that hard news wasn't necessarily the avenue for me because my personality is very bright and bubbly. And I started to accept that more and more about myself. And ultimately, I was able to translate that into the career path that I have and find roles that assimilated with those parts of my personality.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't
1: it? That kind of um, as
0: we grow into ourselves and learn a little bit about what do I really like and who do I want to be and how do I want to show up every day that that really matters for us to have that awareness um, when we're making our our career choices, doesn't it?
1: Absolutely. And it's just kind of interesting to look back and know how you evolved as I mean, when I was a little kid, I used to say, oh, I'm going to be an actress. And then that transformed, as I say, into journalism. So seeing that whole timeline evolve and just the steps that you learn about yourself along the way. It's, it's been a wild ride. That's for sure. Hmm. What have you, what have been some
0: of the most interesting lessons that you've learned?
1: I would say the biggest one, if we're talking from a career standpoint would be to not give up on yourself um, and certainly not have your identity wrapped up in exactly what you do. This was a career that didn't necessarily unfold easily for me in the beginning. I knew what I wanted to do. However, like anything, your resume in a stack of hundreds of resumes, and when you're green, you're not necessarily going to get a green light right away. Meanwhile, you could have somebody else that, let's say, you studied with all of a sudden accelerate into the career path of your dreams. And when you're younger, especially, and sometimes even when you're older, that can be tough to deal with. Uh so I think the biggest lesson is perseverance. My first job at the weather network, I applied every 4 months for 2 years wow. and I I wasn't I I decided to not take it personally anytime there was that dear johnny rejection letter. I just knew eventually one day that door is going to open and eventually it did.
0: in such a unique career right Chrissy because you know I myself uh, once upon a time when I made a decision to be a psychologist I mean I knew that path right it's like get your undergrad get your master's get your PhD finish your residency and there's jobs that exist right that that it isn't an issue of will I be able to find a job Um, you know you kind of and I think many paths are like that where we can kind of go down and know we're going to have a job. At the end of it, yet with media is, I mean, the reality is we know the number of positions that are available for the number of people that have a passion in that area is so, so skewed, isn't it?
1: It really is, and you know that going into it, yet somehow you have this love affair that you cannot look away. I was in a unique position of graduating in 2008, which of course was the 2008 recession. So it was already a very competitive field, and then on top of that, you had a lot of corporations making decisions where they were shrinking their staffing levels even further. So it certainly is challenging and it, and it continues to be challenging because I'm someone that constantly wants to push myself and grow more and more. So you're in this constant state of vulnerability in a sense when you're in this career path because you know that it's, it's not something that I could turn around and all of a sudden apply somewhere else the next day. You, you have a lot of gratitude for your position when you certainly get it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I imagine, you know, you know, all of us face face rejection in some way big or small through through our lives yet. Again, being in a in a career path where I imagine you had to get very good at being able to manage rejection after rejection after rejection.
1: Absolutely. When I was in college actually, I went to Niagara College and they would have us go out and do our either video journalist assignments or broadcasting assignments. And we would actually, as a group, play it in front of the entire class. And it was everyone's job of your classmates to provide pretty harsh, constructive criticism. Literally some, I mean, now that I look back at it, I don't know if it was the best method, because I'm sure that there were some tears sometimes, because you haven't built that resilience yet to not take it extremely personally. But it did help prepare you for the realities of the industry, because, you have to separate your, your person from it a little bit because unlike other jobs, there's just so much, so much of yourself that's present every day. It's, it's how you look, it's how you sound, it's how you ask questions. And so defining that separation from who I am as Chrissy working and who I am as Chrissy personal. And if I, if somebody doesn't like what Chrissy working has to offer, it's not necessarily a hit to Chrissy personal. That's a, it's, a journey you have to prepare yourself for because it can hit hard sometimes when you've put something that you're really proud of and you don't necessarily get the reaction that you'd anticipate.
0: You know, I mean, what are the things that you found have helped you deal with that? Because we can cognitively know, right? Our brain can tell us, yes, prepare yourself and the numbers are this and a good chance of rejection Yet, our heart. um, doesn't always match what our, our brain knows, right? And so what for you have you found over the years have really helped you um, you know, just soften the blows when they've come? Who do you, who do you lean on? What do you
1: lean on? What
0: helps you?
1: So I feel really lucky from a personal standpoint. I've known my husband since I was 15. I met him when I was in high school and I I mean he's my confidant and my biggest believer in myself. He's been through every up and down and probably knows my dreams in the biggest capacity of anybody. But aside from him, my biggest confidant, I I guess in a sense is myself. I've journaled through my entire career, which actually blows my mind as somebody that sometimes procrastinates that I committed to that level of journaling in my life. But I can look back on entries where I felt so low and it took me a long time to bounce back from different rejections that I faced. But I think as my journal grew, it also became this amazing tool that when I hit another roadblock, I was able to look back, read those entries and know how far I'd come from how low I might have felt, if that makes sense. So I can't recommend a better tool. It's the number one thing I almost say to people journal. It's, it's wonderful to reflect on your own thoughts in that way.
0: Well, I, I love that you're saying that because as a clinical psychologist, I'll tell you, Chrissy, journaling and writing is one of the most regular recommendations that I that I make. And we know from the science, right? This isn't just like, oh, I feel good for a bit. The science and research will tell us that when we get pen to paper, which is actually even different than typing on a keyboard, but pen to paper and get all of the the junk that floats around in our brain, right? Good, bad, and ugly. And put that into, you know, metaphorical black and white in front of us that that has many, many therapeutic benefits for us in terms of giving us perspective, in terms of grounding us, in terms of giving us reference points, right? As you're describing when you skim back over those journals.
1: Yeah, it's it's honestly, it's a powerful, it's when all, everyone always says what are the most valuable things that you own. Ironically, most top value items that I have in my house are things that are pen to paper, whether from somebody that's special in my life or these notes to myself. Yeah, so climate crisis comes and in your
0: uh, bug out bag is you're grabbing your journals and taking those <laughs> with you. Is that right? <laughs>
1: Funny enough, they literally are. <laughs> so are they, the do you have a bug out bag? Years. Of course. I preached far too long working for the Weather Network for other people to have them. I'd have to. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Okay, so now I need to know what's in your bug out bag, please. And thank you. (laughs) Oh, you know, I've got snacks. I have one of those little foil shelters. You just have to have your essentials, passports, cash, all the things that people say that they wish they grabbed on their way out the door. Okay, I feel
0: like that's something I should put my mind to while we have the gift of time right now through the (laughs) pandemic. (laughs) one of the things with journaling, right? We, you know, a lot of people will hear about it and we see it and da, da, da. But, but a lot of people, um, in my experience, patients will have this resistance, right? And there's this feeling of it, it can feel hard, particularly when we're in the midst of difficult experiences. Sometimes we don't want to see it in front of us. Um, so I guess what would I, you know, I'd love to know, how you approach your journaling like is there a structure are there rules and how do you motivate yourself um particularly those those times that you feel like Ugh, last thing I want to do is document this
1: honestly it's something that just resonates inside me I'll just get a feeling that I need to write it out and write my feelings out on paper so I don't know how helpful that is to others so I'm definitely I'm not a I try and like get at least an entry in a month, even if it's just a one liner note to myself. But if I'm going through an emotional ordeal more often than not, it just flows. I don't overthink it. It just comes out. And then that's where I think the enjoyment of reading it later comes into play because it's so raw on the way out. It's not filtered. It's not edited, which is part of my persona, a lot of, you know, if I'm putting pen to paper at work or things like that, you're constantly rereading, or even when I compose an email, I'll read it four times before I hit send. So maybe that's why it's so therapeutic for me to just let it out raw when that feeling resonates. And I try and write when I'm in the heart of the emotion. Like if I have put myself in my room where I need to have a cry or give myself that time, more than likely I'll pull my journal out of my drawer and just sit with a pen until it comes out.
0: Amazing. And I, I um, yeah, I love that it's just become a habit for you is what it sounds like that you've done it so long and you've started to, you know, you really know the value of it. And then when anything becomes a habit, right, we're much more likely to just find a way to embed it into even our busy days and lives, aren't we?
1: For sure. I think uh, it's so. it's been a habit so long that my journal is literally an old, crummy ring notebook. None of these fancy journals that are available now.
0: <laughs> Journaling before
1: it was cool. Yeah.
0: Awesome. So you just need a pen and a paper and away you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you've had a very interesting um, career and uh, I want to go kind of back to the beginning. Um, you had an opportunity early in your career to intern at canterbury television in new zealand um and even on a cruise ship as a port and shopping guide and and i thought oh my goodness doesn't that sound like a dream opportunity um you know young and free and uh you know something that not many people are offered um nor even inclined to take given um being away from everything that's familiar from regular life. And so tell me a bit about your experiences for you and and any unknown challenges that arose that you weren't anticipating.
1: Yeah, so New Zealand was a big one. I knew when I graduated, you kind of have this choice because when your internship comes up, obviously for a lot of people, that's a natural extended job application in a lot of senses. So I was taking a bit of a risk traveling abroad for mine. And it also was wild to coordinate because granted it was 2008, but I feel as though the internet still wasn't as savvy as it is today. So there was Mm -hmm. a lot of coordination involved to put that into action. But that one was more important to me. Mainly, my father had passed when I the year that I graduated high school. So I initially had gotten a scholarship to Ryerson for journalism, and that had been my game plan for schooling. Then my mom had an extremely difficult time with that loss. Obviously, I did as well, but my mom needed me at that point, and I knew that. So I was going to take a year off, and that's how I stumbled upon the program at Niagara College. I'd never intended to go to college. That was an accident and a beautiful, happy accident that happened Mm -hmm. in my life because it ultimately propelled my career. But when the internship side came along, I had then at that point spent the last three years at home since his loss. And I, I just knew it was really important for me to go experience and decompress. And so for me, that was an emotional journey as well, traveling abroad away from my mom. And I think it was a lot of my time to process everything that had happened over the last couple of years. Um And complemented by that with the amazing team at Canterbury Television, I got a lot of real world world experience. I got amazing travel experience. It was just my first taste of the world. And then naturally, when that happens, when I came home, I was like, well, this isn't enough. I'm not ready to just sign and work for a company for the next 30 years of my life. And that's Mm. how cruise ships happened. So I found out about this job port and shopping guide where you literally have live shopping talks that you do on board and you get a little shopping channel in their in-house television. And for me, it was my best way to keep that sense of adventure while I was young and didn't have any obligations at home, yet simultaneously build my demo reel which looking back at that initial reel is hilarious and makes a lot of sense That's why Weather Network didn't necessarily scoop me up in those first. Few times. <laughs> we all start somewhere, don't we, Chrissy? <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Well,
0: let's let's talk then about how things evolved uh, to weather, because you, you call yourself a big weather nerd <laughs> and so and you you mm. love all things related to weather and especially wind, as I understand. And so yeah. Yeah, tell me tell me about where that, you know. How did that passion first get cultivated and where does that come from? And, and yeah.
1: Yeah. So I guess it goes back to what I was saying in my younger years, personality wise, I started to realize I'm pretty bright and bubbly. And so first you're starting to look at what niches can you fit in if you want to go the broadcasting route and weather network, especially I grew up in the East. So weather is, constantly hammering you in the wintertime and watching the weather network was a big part of our lives. We didn't have incredible apps like we do now. A lot of the times the minute we're out the door. So that would be on a lot of times for my drive to college, what I was going to face out on the road. So it's funny with the people that we see on TV, all of a sudden they're parts of your lives. And I was like, I want to be Kim McDonald, who was from my town that worked on there. I had so much admiration for this woman that worked on the weather network. And that's when I started to look at the opportunities with them and the stories that we were telling. And for them, it's all about time. I'm out in nature and the unpredictability of mother nature and that's what really resonated with me it was these fascinating stories about Canadian weather what's the number one conversation we have in every elevator ride I absolutely able to give a ferry, right <laughs> mine just happen to be more detailed descriptions when people bring them up <laughs> they always leave with a little weather tidbit before they know it um but yeah being able to share those stories it it was such a Awesome! I have nothing but great things to say about my experiences with them. I traveled all over Canada, from the wildfires in Fort McMurray to the nor'easters in Atlantic Canada, and generally, it's it's not in that hard news realm. So people are telling you tales about their lives or stories that they've seen growing up. It just there was this amazing power of connection in that role, and I think that's it's fascinating to make a career out of something that literally impacts us every single day when we wake up. I mean, even if you know you're in Vancouver and it's gonna rain every day, you know you're looking out the window thinking exactly what you need to put on before you head out the door.
0: of course, met you first through the media worlds, with you interviewing um, me on, on various topics over the years, um, particularly around the impact the weather has on us psychologically and our mental health. And, and I guess when you think about nature, when you think about climate crises, of course, we've seen so many, particularly over the last year. And when you think about resilience what what things flowed in your mind and keep you up at night Chrissy
1: yeah I mean anyone that knows me I play outside extensively and I definitely think that we need to do all our part and be stepping up I know one story that really struck me recently was I was out in Tofino when we were not under a non-essential travel ban uh, because obviously you want to be respectful going where you're welcomed but one of the main things that they said was how much garbage was being littered all over the beaches by people visiting and it makes you shake your head because it's something so simple pack out what you pack in i i think that a lot of us look at the climate crisis and think that we have to all make this massive grand gesture by ourselves but really it's just a matter of gathering. A group of people cohesively around the world for making tiny steps in our everyday lives and tiny choices in our everyday lives to do our part um, where it can easily feel monumental the other thing that probably resonates with me on a big scale living in the west coast is earthquake preparedness i preach it endlessly i mean talking about canterbury television I had since left when the February 22nd earthquake happened in Christchurch, New Zealand. But literally the building that I worked in was all over the news because it's the one that collapsed in that earthquake. And sadly, a lot of the people that I had worked with and shaped my life in those months that I interned there didn't make it out. And so kind of respecting that I mean, the pandemic, you look at it where you all of a sudden you realize you could try and predict every element of your life, but there's so much that isn't in our control. And it gives you this newfound respect. And it's the same with an instance of mother nature like that, where we have to just enjoy and feel gratitude with all this beauty that we have around us, but also understand its power at the same time and take those steps to protect ourselves and protect our planet.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, what are you know for our listeners? What if you were to say, give your recommendations on the top few steps that people can start to make in their day to day life um, that can can help Mother Nature? What would those be?
1: Well, I would say the big one actually was my New Year's resolution that I I wish that I did better on on a regular basis. But I'm someone that consumes water regularly. I have reusable containers for all the water that I consume. I actually was really taken back when I went home to visit to Ontario. Um, the amount of, not to, pigeonhole them because I know that obviously this is just a a small subculture of who I was visiting, but the amount of plastic bottles that were still being used made my jaw drop. It's such an easy Mm -hmm. thing to just have a reusable container. And it's the same, my New Year's resolution was with coffees. I love coffee. Anyone that knows me knows I love coffee. Mm -hmm. And so trying to, once again, bring your own cup in. So many places are willing to fill it. In fact, they're happy to save you money if you bring your own container. Uh, Those are probably the top two little steps that do in your day. And then third, if you're going out hiking and playing in our outdoors, please don't leave garbage in these beautiful places. Please don't leave it down on the seawall or wherever you are in the world. If you're out walking, if you see it, pick it up and put it away. The amount of times I've been out and I'm walking my dog, if I see a piece of trash on the ground that blows in my pathway, it literally takes less than a second to pick it up and put it away. Those are the tiniest steps that you can take. But if we were all doing our part, I think that all of those aspects would be way smaller problems.
0: One, wonderful, wonderful words of advice and wonderful places for for all of our listeners to think about making changes changes in. Um, now, let uh, Chrissy, let's talk about you being being a female in media. Um, and I, of course, I'm a psychologist. Media is not my career, but have been very involved in um, speaking as an expert um, over the years. And you know, I, I vividly recall this um, one interview I did. My goodness, it would have been probably 15 years ago, very early stages of me getting kind of on the evening news. And, and I remember I'd been asked to comment on something on a national network about the psychology behind voting behaviors back then. And, and anyway, so here I was do this interview. And I still remember, um, late that evening receiving an email that came through my website. And, and it was this novel written by a viewer, a female viewer who went on a tirade about my appearance and, and, believe it or not, about how unprofessional my curled hair looked on TV. And while I can now laugh at this and look back at it and realize it had nothing to do with anything about me, I, I recall just being riddled with anxiety and self-doubt, my goodness, for weeks to come. And I guess I'd like to ask you about all of the change challenges that you've experienced as a female, where often we know there's much more weight put on things like our appearance um, and, and how you've navigated that.
1: Yeah, it is that there are so many situations where you're like, this would never be said to a man <laughs> that you do encounter. And that is just the reality of it or asked of them. I won't name where I was working at the time, but in the beginnings of my career, I remember once for wardrobe, they literally, would get you to try all the outfits that you thought that you would wear on and comment about yay or nay of how they looked on your body mm. and I was pretty young then too so I'm happy that I haven't had a lot of uh, issues around that but I look back on it and I think huh that didn't feel right and it's funny that it resonates with me now thinking that didn't feel right and at the time you you're, you don't say anything because you're young and just starting to navigate the career from viewers you definitely have to build a thick skin even I would love to say the world has changed that my dms don't fill up regularly with comments that are completely inappropriate uh, from women and men I had even an instance not too long ago and I have no shame in saying it I am a woman that when it's my cycle and I'm having my period, I get extremely bloated. Well, all of a sudden I get a bunch of comments or congratulations in order. Are you having a baby? And the Uh old me would just ignore that. (laughs) But I actually took the time to educate them and say, you know, for some women, those comments actually might be quite hurtful and cause damage for them. And here is why, um, and explain to them a bunch of reasons why they should never ask a female that, uh, But yeah, you encounter a lot of instances that now at this point, I would love to say that they surprise me, but they don't. I try if there's an opportunity to educate someone over why their comment could be hurtful. I do. And some of them, you know, they are just trolling to get a reaction out of you and you just need to shut it down and not engage and really just know yourself through and through and not take it with you but i think that it's a lot easier said than done sometimes sometimes there's comments where even if you know it's not true about yourself it sticks with you or upsets you and if that even upsets me for an hour or a day it's it's not a great feeling to carry around and even if you see it happen to a colleague which i definitely have and all of a sudden they're carrying that around it's that's very much not okay
0: What's the advice you give to those in our work environments right all the way from top down right our leaders the directors the people managers what do you think we can do that will change some of the some of the really challenging work environment factors that we see in media
1: yeah I mean I think just having Dialogue, honestly, is the number one thing. There's, It's incredible how many uh, things in our lives that we encounter come down to simple communication. So I guess from my side, it, it was sort of finding my voice when things aren't okay or if things are coming at me positioned in a way that don't feel right. It's knowing that yes, speak up and, and say that and no, you shouldn't be afraid that you're gonna be reprimanded for something like that. We're creating a culture where these conversations can happen. Uh, so that would be a number one thing from that side is really just finding your voice and not being afraid to find your voice because there's power in that and you may all of a sudden find out that there's other people that have shared experiences and ultimately it helps you through it and from the side of an employer I think the same thing for them is creating an environment where there's constant communication and conversation uh realizing Like the amount that's placed on your looks in media, it can be a little bit unbelievable sometimes. But even when I'm giving a compliment to a female coworker, let's say they have a great outfit, I always ensure that's never the compliment that I go to if they post Mm. it on their their social media even. I always want to compliment the story that they've told. Because a lot of times I see someone that posts this incredible story that they've worked on in their work. And the, all the comments you see, great dress, and that's lovely to hear, and all. But we are people of substance and a lot to offer. And the tides are changing when it comes to female empowerment, but we have a lot of work to do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And as you're speaking, I'm thinking it's about being intentional in our words, right? And and we'll we'll often think of you know I think with with kids, I my goodness, you know the little girl that's told how pretty she is, and again, all nice and dandy and, and usually not given with, you know, malintent, but to be intentional in reinforcing attributes and personality characteristics. Right. And we think rather than telling the little girl that she's pretty to be able to say, you know, you're so smart or you uh, did this so well, or you were so polite, you would think, you know, and, and I, and I do agree. We have so still so far to go when it comes to how we think about the different ways we approach and really reinforce women versus men.
1: Absolutely. It's a a constant, evolving conversation, but the conversations are happening and they're happening more and more. And I think that's what's so wonderful to see.
0: Now, Chrissy, let's let's shift gears a bit and talk about. Um your passion for the mind-body connection and the impact of our physical health on our psychological health Um, and let's go way back Um, as a young child you grew up with a dad who was very sick uh, with multiple complex health issues related to type 1 diabetes uh, which resulted stunningly in him having his last rites read to him 21 times. Tell me about how that experience uh, or experiences over your childhood impacted your understanding and perspectives around health.
1: It shaped a whole lot as you can imagine, you know. The thing that was incredible about watching my dad's journey as and it really was a unique journey that I I still process growing up and I think as you get older, you start to understand things that transpire that you didn't necessarily have a firm, firm grasp of then. But he would always do whatever he could. I still even remember he had cut his foot and his toe with diabetics, their circulation isn't very strong. So essentially, like he had to have part of his foot amputated. And even still, he like cut a makeshift shoe so that he could go and walk with my mom and do these things. And it really taught me how limitless our body is and how when you put your mind to it, your body can achieve these amazing things. So as I got older, it's funny how into fitness, I have gotten because as much as I collected participation ribbons as a kid, I was terrible at every sport. Oh, yeah. I really tried, though. I was like a professional bench warmer through and through, uh, <laughs> always cheering everyone on. But for me, I've been given this gift of health, thank goodness, at this point in my life. And I think. His journey is what inspires me to utilize that. People, even when I'm not training for, for competition, ask, well, what are, you, what are you training for now? I'm like, just life. The fact that I can go out to the mountain and do this incredible hike to bring me to this beautiful view. A lot of times, like my dad's body would not have allowed him to do that. So the fact that I've been given this gift to push myself to another set of limits and and push through those mental breakthroughs when you're in the gym at times where you think, no, I can't. I can't lift that. Or for me, it was, um, doing pull-ups. I still remember walking the gym thing and there's no way that I could lift my body weight that on that. And I was mm. embarrassed to go up to it and try because why do they put them in the middle of the gym every time? <laughs> <But> <laughs> I, I was like, I'm just going to try for one. And it was sort of the half one. And then before, you know, it, all of a sudden you're able to do repetition and it's, pushing past that mental block, all of a sudden I realized that that became a metaphor for any goal I had in life. That no, I'm not going to reach the end goal the first time I try. I need to do all these little steps in between. And so it's been this incredible relationship fueled by the example that I had with my dad that just reminds me to be grateful that my body at this point in my life has gifted me with when I ask it to move, it obliges and not everyone has that.
0: Yeah so so both gratitude and also perseverance right back to back to perseverance that uh, you know when you're hitting the nail on the head when you're talking about the mental blocks because our psychology the the stories we tell ourselves the limiting beliefs that we have it's that's often the the bigger block isn't it
1: absolutely it's so easy to even on days that i'm not feeling hundred percent into it for at this state in the world, I've made a gym reservation. So I have to go all, if I'm telling myself it's, it's not going to be a really great workout and I don't feel like it. Well, guess what? It's never great when it's like that. You have to have your mind just as focused, if not more, and that the physicalities of it come next, but it also is where you build your mental strength. It's an incredible tool for that.
0: You now, Tell me what, what drew you into the bodybuilding world and, and what kind of um, mental and physical preparation is involved in uh, participating and winning an event like the Iron or Classic?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I know that you know this as well. It's an incredible amount of dedication um, and discipline that's involved. So for the entire process, you have this goal it's a date that's on the calendar where you have to have all these parameters of your physicality ready to go and hit that stage and it really just became what drew me to it was exactly what you're saying having these limiting beliefs i remember looking at it thinking gosh that would be really wild to give that a try but i could never do that and then i thought well of course i could because this person that person that person's able to do it so why would you discount yourself from that even being a possibility and then once you get into the flow of it it, it's all of a sudden this building block of momentum that fuels you to that final day getting onto the stage I always it's it's genuinely I mean obviously it feels great to feel healthy and strong although I do highly caution people the amount of um restrictive eating when you get into it, you need to make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons. Because I think a lot of people, it can snowball in the aftermath where you don't allow yourself freedoms with food and can create a whole different scenario in your life. So that's very important. But um, no, it just builds this incredible momentum to get to that day. And then all of a sudden you realize, once again, this is a metaphor for life. If I apply discipline and consistency into any goal that you have, you will get there it will it won't happen overnight but you will get there
0: let's talk a bit more about some of the the Dietary restrictions and approaches, because of course, competitive fitness training involves much more than just strength t- training and endurance, um, physically or mentally. There's also um, a very rigorous diet, uh, which we know isn't beneficial for our bodies in the long term. Um, you've written and blogged about, um, you know, when you've gone through training for a bikini competition, that it can easily translate into an unhealthy relationship with food, binge eating, and overall struggles with self image when is said and done. Um, And of course, you know, uh, that I six years ago had entered my first and my last (laughs) fitness competition. I did it as a personal goal. Um, But what so stunned me was the level of unhealthy attitudes, expectations, even coaching around dietary habits. And so Tell me about how you've navigated this, Chrissy, because I think it's a very slippery slope for many people. And and I think you've done an excellent job of being able to navigate an area that many struggle with. And we don't talk a lot about this, do we?
1: No, 100%. I mean, even going into it, I don't even think I understood the level and also psychologically what starts to happen to you when you are restricting to that. I mean, we're talking... Measuring your meals and traveling everywhere with a Tupperware. I remember the last time I competed, actually, I had a shoot for one day. We took a bunch of kids to Disneyland for a day. It was a charitable component, which was an incredible day. But I literally was so focused on thinking, well, my goal to competition is literally 10 days later. So trying to figure out how to get all this food through customs, (laughs) Uh, which is a little absurd when you're trying to make a magical day for children to have your focus on that. So it's so like for people to understand what it is, it's you literally are measuring your meals and watching your consumption for in a lot of cases, 12 straight weeks. And I think that for me, what made sure that I didn't have a slippery slope on on the other side of that was a remembering all the reasons of why I wanted to compete in the first place. It really wasn't wrapped within the imagery. A lot of it was having this goal and achieving that goal and really taking care of my mental health and my dietary needs right on the back end of the competition. I really concentrated on slowly increasing my caloric intake and making sure that there were no feelings of guilt or punishment associated with food. Because that's where I think that it can be so dangerous. All of a sudden, there's this wild guilt. If I have this food or labeling a food bad, I can't have that because that's a that's a bad food for me. No, it's moderation, I think is like anything in life is such an important tool. But all of a sudden, it can make you start to forget that. Um, and I I did a ton of reading, I think about people's situations that had gone the the really difficult route in the aftermath. And because of that, I was very educated going into the potential risks and that ultimately helped me avoid them. But I caution anyone when they're looking into it. I'm like, you have to be doing it for the right reasons because it can be detrimental to your health. You see it all the time.
0: Well, absolutely. And I, you know, as you're speaking, I'm remembering when i was was prepping for the competition, and, you know, all the restrictions that were given by by my trainer. And I still remember whatever it was. It must have been a must have been a salad or rice and something. and And I was counting the grapes that I had. And I was told no more than eight grapes. And I still vividly remember I opened the fridge and I'm pulling out and I counted eight grapes. And I was kind of near the end. I, I had just done this as a personal goal for myself, and I thought, I am stopping this. Like this is not a normal or healthy approach to be starting to get obsessive around what was going on that plate? And and I remember a young girl that was competing. Long, she ended up um, dropping out. Must have been all of twenty two or twenty three. And she she gives me call, knowing I'm a psychologist, and says, "My trainer told me to vomit the muffin I had this morning." And I thought, so many people are so vulnerable. She's in tears, right? And and you know, I'm talking her out of it. I said, "You need to call your parents." You know, young and lived with her parents, um, very connected with their parents, didn't have many other supports. And I said, You need to call your parents. You need to stop this competition. And be, now I was able to catch myself. I haven't dealt with disordered eating, uh, but notice that obsessiveness. But certainly for anybody that has had any predisposition or leaning toward eating disorders, we know that over 1 million Canadians meet diagnostic criteria for eating disorders. And it's massively prominent in our society and massively under talked about in the fitness industry.
1: Absolutely. And I think as well, social media, we know plays a massive role in this. I think, I mean, I tell people all the time, because obviously the week you're heading into competition, sure, you're chiseled and what have you, you're dehydrated. And I'm very candid about what it takes I'm always like this is you shouldn't have this low level of body fat this is not the epitome of health and this isn't something that you're going to hold on to in the long term but I think that it's a lot of people consuming this imagery where they think that level of physique is something that is sustainable for a long time or even and even healthy to do in a short term and it snowballs because you're you're working towards something. I mean, even the amount of Photoshop on some people, we have mm. a lot of times a very unattainable view of what we think the standard is. And really, the standard should be what is making you feel good and healthy and, and strong inside, not something... I mean, anybody that has competed within the last two weeks, your energy levels are depleted. You want to nap more. Those workouts are harder to get out. That's not what fitness is all about. As I say, for me, competing has been more, luckily I've had positive and fun journeys, but the minute it, it wouldn't be a good time, I'm out. You know, it's uh, it definitely can be a very slippery slope and it, it is sad when you see that happen to certain individuals and it is something that should be talked about more. Um, there's yeah, a lot and, that goes on. Right. And you're talking about educating yourself,
0: about being intentional and mindful, right? That's what I'm hearing as you're speaking, to be intentional of your why, right? What am I doing this for? Um, being very mindful and self-aware of your own patterns and setting parameters, right, Chrissy? That that kind of, you know, there's something that you may be doing for a few weeks prior to show day, um, yet making sure that you're catching yourself if you're starting to obsess or feel guilt or, or shame, right? Right? very toxic emotions that can have huge impacts on on our behaviors.
1: Absolutely. Making sure that you have healthy soundboards. I mean, just you saying with the coach of that woman, it's like finding there's all sorts of people that are willing to take your money to get you to whatever journey that you want to go. And it doesn't mean you're necessarily paying a professional that should be giving that type of advice to an individual. And it is a sad reality. It's out there. So really educating yourself on who you're partnering with. And if all of a sudden you feel that's not a great fit for your mind and body health, it's making the decision to get out of there and not feeling guilt where all of a sudden you have to stick around.
0: Now, Chrissy, let's, let's shift gears to another kind of fun part of your life. Um, I have loved reading more about your personal life experiences through your blog, Van, that's with two N's, uh, in Van City. Uh, you write so beautifully and openly and honestly. Um, what was your motivation for starting this
1: blog, first of all? It's, it's so funny because I, I would say it's the thing I procrastinate around the most and I love writing. Um, I think it just goes back to the journaling where all of a sudden I, I literally have no plan, which is why there's such a lack of consistency with what goes <laughs> up there. But it, I write when it resonates with me. To me, I just... I, I think I had verbalized it to you in correspondence prior to discussing here, but as I've gotten older, I've realized that all the advice that I was given as a child, and I was very close with my dad, was from somebody that knew he, his time was more than likely going to get cut short uh, with the obstacles that he had in his path. That was his reality, and it taught me about the fragility of life. And so as a result, I really strive to live a life that is filled with adventure and exploration. And I try not to turn the page on a day without it feeling like I've done something, even if it's as simple as taking a walk in the city of Vancouver and looking at the beautiful mountains that we have here and feeling gratitude for that. I like to do something that makes me feel that zest of life. Mm. And so through my writing, I've been trying to just convey that sense of urgency with others, which is why the pandemic, I think, struck such a chord with me when it happened, because simultaneously I feel like everyone in the world learned the lesson that I had learned from my dad's illness, that there are life is a gift and we don't know we don't have the promise of tomorrow we often just live thinking that there'll be days and days and days ahead and we we don't know that and in his case he he really felt like he was on borrowed time every day and so it's about making the most of that time and through my writing i just really sometimes get inspired and in whatever instances have happened in my day or that week or whatever subject matter i choose to write that to invoke that feeling in people that this is a gift and you're here now and to embrace the world that we have around us and the life that you're living and the relationships that you're building and make it meaningful.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, our, our perspective and attitude is is almost everything, isn't it? When we think about, you know, being present in our life and, and you know, grabbing life, um, you know, the bull by the horns, right? So to speak, when we think about um, not taking for granted um, any of the moments that we have. Um now one of the things which I think is very cool thing about you is you ride a motorcycle. You don't just ride a motorcycle, you're part of you're <laughs> part of a massive motorcycle community. And and in one of your blog posts, you talk about uh, the LEDAs, a woman uh, women motorcycle community, women on bikes. And and so um I would love to know more about what, it, what drove you to start riding, how you connected with this groove, and just talk a bit about the community.
1: Yeah, the community is unbelievable. It literally makes me giddy to think about it because who would have imagined, honestly, talking about just living life with a little bit of zest. My husband, as I mentioned, I've known him since I was a teenager. He's always rode bikes and I literally came to ride quite recently. It was just two years ago and I was sitting on the back of his and there was this other woman that pulled up alongside us and I'll never forget it. We were in Abbotsford And there was a train in the background. And it was just like the most magnificent scene behind this woman. And all I started to think is, why am I back here? Why am I not riding that bike? Uh So quite literally, the very next day, I wrote to get my license. And the day after that, I bought a bike. And I am not mechanically inclined. But I was like, I will learn. And I will figure this out. And I now have had a love affair on two wheels. It is A such mental therapy when I'm out there on my own. I did my first solo motorcycle trip to the Island this summer and just having that time with the wind, which admittedly I love as the <laughs> weather nerd. Um, it's, it's just this incredible place of peace and thinking. And so not only do I have those solo benefits, but as you mentioned, I then heard about the LIDA's, which is an all women inclusive riding group that's worldwide, but we have an incredible chapter here in Vancouver. I remember going to my first event, which I found out about through social media, being so incredibly nervous, but instantly you have this bond with these fellow women because you share a passion for something where women are still the minority. And the perception of who women are on bikes is also still this made up perception of who women are on bikes. They're, they're, they're doctors, they're lawyers, they're servers, they're, they're everyone. It's just this incredible community that's full of sisterhood. Honestly, I've made some of the best friends that I have had since moving out to Vancouver. Um, it's it's just it's funny because you go out sometimes to these events and this is going to sound like me stereotyping but a lot of the times the guys that are gathering are all talking about what's this upgrade that you did and what's this part on your bike and then there's us women all together i feel like we could just take over the world we have these wild conversations about our our dreams and our goals and we have chat groups where we're accountable to help each other get to our dreams and goals and there's this incredible motivating, inspirational community that I I know if I needed anything right now, they would have your back in an instant. And there is nothing more powerful than riding down a road with 70 fellow women <laughs> and just seeing everyone's heads turn in disbelief thinking, did we just see that go by? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah the, the community and connection, right? And and I was surprised to learn there was a, a study recently done by the Motorcycle Industry Council who um, says that 19% of motorcycles are owned by women. And I, you know, I kind of felt bad for underestimating if someone made me guess it, but I thought, wow, one out of five. And there have been dozens of articles now over the last couple of years that say women aren't the growing trend of who's buying bikes and riding and starting to ride. And I mean, does that surprise you when you hear that?
1: It makes me excited when I hear that, mainly because even in the last two years that I've been in this community, globally, it's been wonderful to see these women-led companies as well that are spawning out of those statistics. Because we are this growing community and one of the fastest growing in the industry, we're seeing these female-led stores, whether it be even something as simple as gear. Ten years ago, if I wanted motorcycle gear, more than likely anything I could buy would just be pink. Like that was the option. There'd be two gloves and they were pink. That was it. Now you have these female-led companies that are creating amazing gear for us. And, and there's so much support within that community too, because once again, you're in this playing in this space that you aren't the majority yet. I feel like the, the tides are turning in such this incredible way. And, I, I mean, the entire motorcycle community is, is really inclusive. There's a reason why everyone waves to each other on, on the road out there. It's just this shared passion for this essence of freedom that you have exploring this, in this case, incredible province of British Columbia on two wheels.
0: You've got this beautiful quote, um, about riding and, uh, and, and, um, you say my journey into learning to ride is a reminder that at any point in your life, you have the ability to acquire new skills, to introduce new faces into your story, to conquer a fear, to rise up to a challenge. You are forever capable of all of these things at any time in your life. Now, as a lifelong learner, I so love and embrace and, and echo these sentiments. Um, you have clearly pushed yourself, your body, your skills, um, and abilities into so many unique areas. And, and I guess for our listeners out there, um, what words of advice do you have on encouraging others to do the same?
1: I would say to them, We have been given this gift and that is this moment where literally you can at any moment make the decision to create a new story in your life. I've made this promise to myself that if my life were a book, if I had a book, for example, I wouldn't wanna read the same chapter over and over again. Why would you do that with your life? And I think a lot of times the pressures and stresses of life kind of funnel us into that style of living but you have the gift and this choice to shake things up and write a new chapter for yourself. And it doesn't need to be something tremendous and big. It can be one little chance that you wanted to take or one little hobby that you wanted to take up. There's no limits. I think that that is the most important thing. You can add anything to your story that you have envisioned for yourself and you have the ability to do that at any time. And even if you don't get it right away, just like, trust me, the amount of stalls I had on that motorcycle before Mm -hmm. I could get it going every time were tremendous, but it will come with a bit of perseverance. And when you add all of that together, all of a sudden you've created new dreams for yourself. And there's a lot of power in that. And knowing as well that you're the one that has that within your power. Ah, oh, such, such
0: beautiful um, words of advice, Chrissy. And and thank you so much for being such an inspiring woman, a very cool woman on your motorcycle <laughs> and, and uh, really just inspiring uh, so many through the range of challenges that you've taken on. Um, I really admire the work that you do. Uh, it's been my real pleasure to have you on the other side of the interview, Mike. Um, and so thank you for sharing a bit of a snippet of your life and your work. World with our listeners
1: today. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you so much to our listeners for tuning into Tardigrade Talks. If you've enjoyed our conversation, we would love for you to subscribe and consider sharing with a friend. We have a breadth of free resources designed to help you enhance your psychological health and wellness on our website, tardigradetalks.com. Thank you, and I hope you join us at the next episode. Wishing you psychological health wellness, and resilience until next time.